some of you may have picked up on the fact that I rarely preach about the gospel. I think this is because I am, deep in my soul, a hipster priest. Everyone preaches about the gospel, making it way too mainstream. Okay, that was a joke. But there is some truth to it. Every word of scripture in both testaments is so rich and deep and meaningful that I could preach on any of it. In my experience growing up, I heard a lot of preaching about the different Gospels, which I assume has been most people's experience. So now that I am a priest, I feel a particular obligation to bring forth the different insights that I learned in seminary about the Old Testament and epistles. Except for today. While our other two readings are profound and filled with theological truths, I just cannot get away from the gospel of the prodigal son, which seems to say everything possible about sin, redemption, and the loving nature of God. The key to understanding this gospel is to realize that our default state as Christians, our primary identity, is as beloved sons and daughters of God. Now, a note that I don't have to make in Spanish. I am going to use sons for much of the rest of this homily to make it flow better. But please understand that I mean everyone, men and women. Our primary identity is as sons of God. When we are baptized, we are united to Jesus in all things, including in his identity as the Son of God. We ourselves become sons of God, and that identity becomes our first and most important identity. Always. So, when we are analyzing this parable, we should think about inheritance as the physical manifestation of sonship. The father owns all of this land, and he has promised it to his sons as heirs. So the land itself represents their connection to their father. When the younger son demands his inheritance now, and then leaves with it, he is taking the very representation of his sonship and exhausting it. Afterward, nothing remains of his connection to his father which is what makes the return of the younger son and his reception so surprising. This prodigal returns with nothing left of his sonship, which is why he expects his father to treat him like a hired servant. Not because of the offense, which is what we would focus on today, but because of the lack of inheritance. He had nothing to claim as an heir. Maybe had he returned with half of his inheritance, he could have asked to be treated like half a son. But returning with nothing means that nothing remains of his status as an heir. He had exhausted his sonship when he left his father, and that sonship was still exhausted when he returned. But the father receives him as a son anyway. The embrace and the kiss were a sign of intimate friendship and relationship. The robe and the ring and the sandals were signs of the father's authority and this son's status as an heir. And the fattened calf was reserved only for the most joyful of occasions. This prodigal son returns to his father empty-handed 
But the father acts as though nothing has happened. What does this teach us? From the gospel of the prodigal son, we learn that nothing can ever change our status as beloved sons and daughters of God. No sin, no offense against God, no attitude, no lifestyle. Nothing. Our status as beloved sons and daughters of God is permanent and irrevocable. Certainly, in the logic of this story, we have to return to our Father with repentance and humility in order to live as sons. But this return does not change our identity. It simply gives God the opportunity to demonstrate and honor our identity once again. Our status never changes. Only our distance from the Father who wishes to love us unconditionally. Now, the fact that the younger son has returned does not change the fact that his inheritance has been lost. He will work for his father for the rest of his life and still receive nothing upon the father's death. Not because his father does not love him, but because the inheritance has already been spent and that cannot be undone. It seems to me that this reflects, in our own lives, the reality and effect of sin on the world. Sin never changes our status as beloved sons and daughters of God. But it does change our relationships with family and friends, with co-workers, and with ourselves. Even though the son has returned and been treated as a son, he cannot undo the sins of the past. This week, I heard a lot of confessions. And many confessions involve things which people regret, which they wish they could go back and do over. From a human perspective, I will admit that it is incredibly frustrating to bring them the forgiveness and acceptance of God while knowing that they will have to return to a world where their relationships are still broken and their life is not entirely in order. What this parable is telling us, though, is that the lasting effects of sin do not ultimately matter in the face of the love of God. Yes, the inheritance might be gone. Yes, our relationships may still be a dumpster fire. But the most important thing in the entire world is that we are loved by God as his sons and daughters. Once we accept our status as sons, once we receive the infinite and unchanging love of our Father in heaven, everything else fades into the background. We may still feel hurt by the continuing effects of our sins, but that hurt no longer dominates our lives or our hearts because God's love dominates them instead. We may still have to deal with the fallout of our bad decisions, but we will have the strength to do so because we have accepted the infinite love of our Father. When we appreciate our status as sons and daughters of God, even the bad stuff will fall into place. Of course, there are two sons. What can we learn from the older son? He, too, is infinitely and immutably loved by his father. 
And in addition, he still possesses his full inheritance. And yet, he resents the fact that his father loves both of his sons the same, even though one committed horrible sins. Once again, the message here is that it is our status as sons and daughters of God that matters above all. What does the father reply to the eldest son? He says, My son, you are here with me always. The reward of the older son is not that he will receive a monetary reward, but that he has never had to question or doubt his status as a son and an heir. For those of us who have lived a blessed life and do not have any major regrets or major sins whose effects still linger, our reward is not to have a blessed and carefree life. Our reward is the same as the worst of sinners, that we are beloved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, and that his love for us is unfailing. That is our reward. The fact that we do not have to deal with fallout from past sins is a bonus and a blessing. But it is tiny and unimportant when compared to the infinite love that our Father has for us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the one thing we all have in common is that we are sons, daughters, and heirs of God, our infinitely loving Father. No matter where we have been, no matter what is in our past, we all retain the status given to us in baptism, and we can return to it whenever we would like, with humility and repentance. And once we have returned, and especially when we are gathered together in worship as sons and daughters, we ought to rejoice together in gratitude that we have received such an incomprehensible gift. All of us who were lost have been found. All of us who were dead have been given new life. 